Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. I'm excited to preach the word. Are you ready to hear it? Come on, let's go to work. If you got a Bible with you, would you just wave it in the air like you just do care? Awesome. Come on. Some of your Bibles are glowing. Charged up your Bible today. Thank you for that. I want to look at Mark chapter 5 today. The Gospel of Mark chapter 5. And I want to look at verses 21 through 43. Quite a bit of scripture to read, but I need all of these verses to really get the context of the text. And come on, your New Year's resolution was to read more scripture, so I'm helping you out today. Mark chapter 5, and we'll start at verse number 21. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah. If you need a little bit more time to find it, say, hold up. Okay, I'll give you some time. I was desperate. Hold up. It says in verse 21 that when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her some goldfish to eat. (laughs) Amen. Come on, isn't that amazing verse of scripture? Now, I don't want to preach before I preach, so don't count this as my preaching time. But I almost rose to my feet today to preach to you using this title, Get up. That was going to be my title. Because essentially, that was the culmination of the miracle. He looked at the little girl and said, get up. Come on, that's a good title right there. That'll make you do cartwheels down the aisle. Get up. But the Holy Spirit had me hone in on verses 40 and 41 
and it changed my title. And I want you to look at verses 40 and 41 with me, if we can put that on the screen. It says, but they laughed at him. That they were the negative Nancys that were in the room who had so much unbelief in their heart. They laughed at him. And after he put them all out, that he is Jesus. Jesus put the negative people out of the room. So you thought Jesus was just sweet and good. No, he's gangster. He put every single one of those negative people out. So before that little girl could get up, some people in the room had to first get out. What if, what if, Free Chapel OC, what if the power of a miracle is not just in the miracle itself, but rather in the environment and the atmosphere that surrounds your miracle. (laughs) You've been telling some things to get up, but perhaps this is your Sunday to check the atmosphere and the environment around you and start telling some things to get, get out. Come on, would you help me preach? I feel like preaching. My right toe is tingling. Come on, would you look at the person next to you? And just tell them my title. Look at them, say, neighbor, get out. Come on, look at your other neighbor. Look at them like you got an attitude, like you're mad at them. Come on, say, other neighbor, get out. If you believe God's going to speak to you, would you give them some praise up in here? Hallelujah. This is going to be good. Come on, let's pray before we go into this. It's going to be a long prayer, uh, but just bear with me. Would you bow your heads? God, you are awesome. Speak today. Amen. (laughs) Get out. The divine intersection and collision of characters in this text today immediately gave me a nostalgic parental flashback to November 2014. I'll never forget it because I was getting ready to leave our home in Dallas, Texas to go preach at a conference. And leaving our home to preach is not anything abnormal. I often do that. However, this time, everything was different because I was not just leaving my house as a husband. Now I was leaving the house as a father. Our little girl, Evie, had just been born, and I was in that emotional position of leaving my firstborn child for the first time. And come on, you parents, you know how it is when it's your first child. When it's your first child, there are things you do with your first child that will never happen again, okay? (laughs) Like now, we have three kids, three kids, and a dog that needs deliverance. So... When I leave the house now, I mean, I leave like I have warrants for my arrest <laughs> and I take the long route home. All right. So, sometimes Taylor will call me. She will call me with chaos in the background. She's like, where are you? Where are you? I'm like, babe, I'm in traffic. She's like, no, you in the driveway. I see you come in the house and help me <laughs> with these kids. But uh, when it's your first child. Everything is different. So, I mean, I'm holding my little baby girl, Evie. I mean, tears are going this way. Snot is going the other way. I'm like, Daddy loves you so much. I care about you so much. I mean, I was going one night to preach in Florida. You would have thought I was going to fight in Iraq. But tears are just cascading down my face. I said, I'll be right back. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. I mean, I was a mess. I was a mess. Leave the house and... I get to the conference, I get to the conference in Florida, and I walk in the service, and a guy named Eddie James is leading worship. He's leading worship, and of course, of course, when I walk in, he's singing, you're a good, good father. 
like, no, I'm not, Eddie. No, I'm not. <laughs> just a wreck. I don't even think I preached that night. I just put up a picture of my daughter and said, that's the point. One, two, and three. And finished preaching, and I saw Eddie James in the green room afterwards. He said, congratulations, Robert. Your daughter is beautiful. I said, thanks. I made her. And uh, I said, hey, you know what, Eddie? My daughter, Evie, might not have ever been born if it wasn't for you. Eddie looked at me like I had lost my mind. I said, Eddie, you probably don't remember this, but in December of 2006, you were scheduled to lead worship and preach at a chapel service at Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas. But en route to Dallas, your van had some trouble and broke down on the side of the road. Eddie goes, I remember that night. I said, Eddie, you got on the phone and you called a guy by the name of Adam McCain and you informed him that by the time your van was going to be fixed, there's no way you would make the chapel service that night, so regrettably, you had to cancel. Adam McCain got off the phone with you and looked to a room full of people and said, Eddie James just canceled for our student chapel. Who in the world can we get to fill his spot last minute? In that room was a man by the name of Brian Ming who said, I just heard this young man named Robert Madu preach here in Dallas. He's local. Maybe he can do it. All of a sudden, I get a phone call from Adam McCain. He says, is this Robert Madu, Pastor Robert Madu? I said, yes, it is. He said, Robert, I know this is last minute, but we've just had a cancellation for our student chapel here at Christ for the Nations. Is there any way that you could come in and speak to our Bible college students? Now, keep in mind, during this time period, I am still in Bible college myself at Southwestern Assemblies of God University. So I said to Adam McCain, huh, you know what? It seems like yesterday I was a Bible college student myself. What an honor it would be to come in part to your students. Got in my car and I drove from Southwestern Assemblies of God University to Christ for the Nations. And just before I get up to preach, Adam McCain says, before our guest speaker comes tonight, we're going to do what we do on every Tuesday night. We're going to have our testimony video where we show a video of a student whose life has been changed by the power of Jesus Christ. All of a sudden comes on the screen the finest girl with the strongest Arkansas accent I have ever heard in my life. And she shares her testimony. I preached that night. Don't even meet the girl. I go back to my school the next day. All of a sudden, a girl taps me on my shoulder and says, hey, Robert. I said, it's Pastor Robert now. <laughs> she said, was that you that I saw last night at Christ for the Nations getting ready to preach? I said, yes. They called me last minute. She goes, OMG. Did you see the girl that was on the screen that did the testimony? I said, yes, I did. She said, I've known that girl for years, and I've always thought that you two would be perfect for each other. She said, I never said anything, but the fact that you were there preaching, and they showed her video, the two of you have got to meet. That next week, that girl and I went on our very first date at the illustrious International House of Pancakes. <laughs> I said, Eddie, to make a long story longer, I said, that girl's name was Taylor Mitchell. It's now Taylor Madu. We did what married people do. Evie is the evidence of that. Eddie, I just want to thank God that your van broke down on the side of the road that day. <laughs> I share that with you, Free Chapel OC, because who in the world would have ever thought that Eddie and my Evie were connected. 
Because their connection is not one that is easily seen on the surface. But once you begin to peel back the layers and dig down deep into the archaeological value of a person's life, it becomes lucidly clear that none of us get to live our lives in autonomy of just me, myself, and I. But how do you know all of us are connected? Oh, we are deeply connected. Stories connecting with stories. Miracles merging with miracles. Whether you like it or not, every single one of us are connected. And doesn't it frustrate you when people that you love, they're like, hey, you just do you. I'm a do me. What you got to do ain't got nothing to do with me. And you want to look at them and say, well, you doing you is affecting me. Because we are connected. We are connected. And, and this is the tenor of the text in Mark chapter 5. Because Mark begins talking about this Jewish synagogue leader named Jairus. And all of a sudden, he abruptly begins talking about this woman with the issue of blood. And the reason that Mark has sandwiched her story in the middle of Jairus' story is because the two of them are connected. They are deeply connected. In fact, to discuss the issue of Jairus and his daughter dying and not discuss the woman with the issue of blood is really to do an injustice to the integrity of this text because the two of them are deeply connected. No, not on the surface. Oh no, if you look at the surface of their life, they couldn't be more opposite. If you look at the surface of their lives, one of these things is not like the other. I mean, first of all, Jairus is a man. She is a woman. Biology 101. Jairus is named in the text today. This woman isn't even given the courtesy of a name in the text. Jairus is a ruler in the Jewish synagogue. This woman can't even enter the synagogue because her sickness has made her ceremonially unclean. Jairus is honored and respected. This woman has been shamed and rejected. Jairus has a wife and a family. This woman's sickness has robbed her of the joy of motherhood. Jairus is affluent and has money in the bank. This woman is broke, busted, and disgusted and has spent her money on worthless physicians that have made her worse instead of better. Let me bring the text to the 21st century. Jairus is driving a brand new Benz, but this woman is riding the bus. They have nothing in common on the peripheral, but yet life has put them in the exact same place, posture, and position because they both have been hit with something they cannot handle. Ooh, how many know life will do that? Life has a way of evening the playing field. Often life will hit you with some stuff that you cannot handle. Life will hit you with some stuff that your bank account can't fix, your friends can't fix, your degrees can't fix. You can have more degrees than a thermometer, but life will hit you with something, come on, that your Instagram followers can't fix. And might I suggest that if you are in a place where life has hit you with something you cannot handle, how many of you know that thing is a job for Jesus? That's time for you to throw up your hands and say, God, I don't know what to do about this situation. I've been hit with something I cannot handle. Look at Jairus and this woman. Nothing in common on the peripheral, but yet life has put them in the exact same position where they both had to push people out the way to get to Jesus. I love it because not one of them had a pretty pathway to Jesus. Both of them had to physically push move out the way push people out the way how many know it's not nice to push that's what I'm trying to tell my three year old she has a pushing problem but it's just both of them had to push people out the way in order to get an appointment with Jesus Jairus is a pastor he is a pastor but he's still pushing I can see people saying hey Jairus I liked your sermon last week you did good move out the way Jesus 
Jesus pushing people out the way. This woman is ceremonially unclean. She's not supposed to be touching people. She's not supposed to be in public. She touched everybody that day. Move out the way. Trying to get an appointment with Jesus. You know why both of them are pushing? They're both pushing because desperate people Come on, somebody, do desperate things. Oh, there is something about desperation that will pull stuff out of you that you didn't know was there. Come on, how many know when you are desperate for God to do something in your life, you walk into church differently? Now, you don't walk in cool, calm, and collected with your little coffee talking about, hey, how will you know? When you are desperate, you will come to pre-service prayer. You will get on your neighbor's nerves. You will lift up your head. You'll sing loud. You'll get an ugly face. Mary Kay Mac makeup. Oh, when you are desperate for God to do something, Ooh, desperation has a way of putting your life in focus. It has a way of honing in on what's really important in your life. In fact, God will often use desperation to drive you into your destiny, to drive you into your purpose. Desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. Ooh, I'm going to say that again. Desperation is the door that breakthrough often walks through. Desperation will open doors that complacency will keep shut. There's just something about being desperate for God to show up. Some of you wonder why God hasn't moved in your life. Sometimes you're not desperate enough for the miracle to happen. There's something about desperation. You know, I travel and speak. My ministry is itinerant. And often people will ask me, Robert, where's your favorite place to pe preach? Peach. Preach? Peach? Maybe both. Where's your favorite place to preach? And I struggle. I struggle to tell them a place, although I've been to some awesome places. And the reason I struggle to tell them a place is because the effectiveness of ministry and preaching has little to do with the address or disposition or uh, address or, or the people in the place, but has everything to do with the attitude and the disposition of the people that are in the place. Oh yeah, that's what makes preaching good. I would rather preach in a basement with 10 desperate people than to preach in the Bahamas with 10,000 bougie people who act stuck up like they don't need God to do anything in their life. But come on, if I can just get a room of some desperate people, Oh, that will pull stuff out of me that I didn't know was there. If I can get desperate people in a room, how many know miracles will take place? The supernatural. Come on, are there any desperate people in this service today? All those who are complacent, you can be quiet. But if you're desperate for God to do something in your life, would you just take 10 seconds and give God your best praise like you're desperate? Oh, if you're not desperate, please be quiet. But if you're desperate, open up your mouth like you need God to do something in your life. Hallelujah. Desperation. Desperation will pull things out of you that you didn't know was there. And it is the rolling tides of desperation that brought Jairus and this woman both at the feet of Jesus. Who can you see them? Both at the feet of Jesus in the same position, but have nothing in common on the peripheral. That is a picture of the gospel. That is a picture of the church, that we can come in here with all our differences, but both can fall at the feet of Jesus and say, we need you to do something in our lives. Now let's just discuss for a moment, if we can, the details of their desperation. Jairus, his desperation is serious because he reaches out to Jesus with the vocal intonation of a 911 caller. He's like, Jesus, I need you to come to my house and I don't need you to take your time. I need you to come quick because my little baby girl, she's dying. This woman is just as desperate, but her desperation is different because she's been dealing with the disease for a while now, a hemorrhaging in her body that no doctor can fix. And they both were desperate. And here's how much Mark wants us to know that the two of them 
are connected because it just so happens that the little girl who is dying is 12 years old and this woman has been dealing with this issue of blood for 12 years. They're connected. So you got a 12-year-old dying daughter and a 12-year-old disease. A 12-year-old dying daughter and a 12-year-old disease. So watch this. That means, chronologically speaking, that the same year this little girl was born was the exact same year this woman was diagnosed with her disease. So if this text was a movie... As soon as they hit the feet of Jesus and the producers of the movie was This Is Us, producers of This Is Us, this is the scene, this is the scene where it says 12 years prior and it would flash from the feet of Jesus to a hospital and walking out of the hospital would be Jairus, his wife and their beautiful baby girl and they're smiling from ear to ear with the full elation of parenthood and then right behind them walking out of the same hospital is a woman, tears coming down her face because she's just been diagnosed with a disease that they can't find a cure for. And perhaps they were in the same hospital that day, but didn't even see each other at the same hospital. Who isn't that like life? Oftentimes, you can be so blinded by your promise or so blinded by your pain that you don't even see other people. You're completely oblivious to what other people are going through. And can I challenge you, never be so blinded by your promise or so blinded by your pain that you don't see other people. And that is hard to do in this narcissistic, selfie-saturated culture in which we live in. We've forgotten what Romans 12 says, that you're supposed to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep and feel what other people around you are going through. So the two people who didn't see each other at the hospital that day now saw each other at the feet of Jesus. And thank God for Jesus for bringing the two together because now the two twelves are touching. 12-year-old disease, 12-year-old daughter. Can I break this text down a little bit? 12-year-old disease, 12-year-old daughter. 12-year-old disease, 12-year-old daughter. 12-year-old disease, 12-year-old daughter. 12, 12, 12, 12. How many of you know you don't have to have a theology degree or to be astute in biblical numerology to know that there are some numbers in the Bible that God has given you biblical blues clues that these numbers are a big deal, okay? 12 is one of those numbers, okay? You remember when God began his covenant with Abraham and he called Abraham and that call was continued with Isaac and culminated in Jacob. Jacob had not one, two, three, four, five, 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel representing the power and the authority of the nation. You remember when the high priest in the Old Testament would go into the Holy of Holies and represent the people of God. He would walk in with a breastplate with 12 precious stones representing those 12 tribes of Israel. You remember when Jesus, our New Testament priest, one day he was in the temple teaching. And you remember Mary and Joseph, they lost him. They lost Jesus. And they ran up to him. They're like, where are you? We've been looking all over for you. And Jesus could have looked at them and done what only one kid could do, Jesus, and said, look, I brought you both in this world. I can take you out. But, but he didn't do that. He was respectful. He said, didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? And there he was in the temple teaching at the age of 12. And they marveled at the authority and the power that came out of a 12-year-old. You remember when that 12-year-old became 30 and got ready to pick his crew that he was going to roam the earth with. And he didn't stop at 11 because I would have stopped at 11 and said, forget you, Judas. But no, not Jesus. He said, no, I want a hater in my crew too. Come on. And pick 12 dudes. 12 dudes to roam 
roamed the earth with them. And those 12 guys he gave power and authority to. What is the 12 teaching us? 12 is the number of God's power and his authority. So what Jesus is showing us in the text is what he's been saying throughout the entire book of Mark. Jesus says, I don't care if it's a demon. I don't care if it's a blinded eye. I don't care if it's a sickness, a disease, a death here, a woman with an issue. I don't care if it's a hurricane. There is absolutely nothing you're facing that's not under the jurisdiction of my power and my authority. I've got all power. Oh, if you got that, you would be giving God praise right now. How many are thankful that God has all power and authority? Twelve. Twelve is the number of God's power. Twelve is the number of God's authority. Why is that important? It is because your awareness of God's authority will determine how much you receive from him. That was so nice, I'm going to say it twice. Your awareness of God's authority will determine how much you receive from him. More often than not, we have made the scripture a big issue of faith because he said your faith has made you whole. And don't get me wrong, faith is a big deal. How many of you know faith is the substance of things hoped for? It is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is important. It is the currency of our walk with the Lord. You need faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is our anchor. But how many of you know an anchor has got to be tied to something? Come on, where my fishermen at? You don't just throw an anchor in the ground. You better put a rope on that anchor and tie it to something. And watch this. My faith is tied to the awareness of God's authority, that he is the ultimate authority, the authority of his power, the authority of his word. Your faith has got to be attached to God's authority. If you don't believe that God is the ultimate authority, you're going to struggle with your faith. Because the two of them are connected. If you got a faith problem, it's because you have an awareness of his authority problem because the two of them are connected. Give us some scripture for that, Robert. I'll give you some scripture. You remember You remember when the disciples were on the boat and the winds and the waves and the hurricane was going crazy and Jesus was so concerned. He was in the bottom of the ship just talking about dead asleep. And the disciples ran up to him and said, Jesus, don't you care? We about to die. And Jesus walks up cool, calm, and collected and just goes to the edge of the ship and goes, peace. Be still. And the winds and the waves in an instant get slain by the words that came from the master. And all of them had their jaws dropped. They said, who is this man that even the winds and the waves can obey him? They marveled at his authority. And what did Jesus say to them? Oh, you of little faith. You don't understand my authority. That's why your faith is struggling. If you really had an awareness of my authority, you should have walked up to me when I was sound asleep when the hurricane was going on and said, who is this man that can sleep in the middle of a hurricane? If this is not bothering him, guess what? It's not going to bother me. Jesus, scoot over. I'm going to cuddle with you because if this ain't stressing you out, I ain't going to let it stress me out. You must have power and authority to know that this thing is going to work itself. Oh, I wish somebody would help me preach in here today. If you had an awareness of his authority, your faith could grow. I'm telling you, you don't have a faith problem. You have an awareness of his authority problem. Jairus, watch this, got a house call because that was his awareness of God's authority. You know what he said to Jesus? He said, Jesus, you got to come to my house. He's a classic preacher, classic church person. He said, Jesus, my daughter's about to die. You got to come to the house. You got to lay hands on her. He's Pentecostal too. You got to lay hands on her. 
because that's the only way she's going to be healed. That was his awareness of God's authority. He said, okay, that's your awareness. I'll follow you. Show me where your house is. This woman had a different awareness of God's authority. She said, Jesus, no, you ain't got to come to my house. I'm coming to you. I'm just going to touch the hem of your garment. And if I know, if I just touch your clothes, I'm going to be healed. And she got healed. That was her awareness of God's authority. But do you remember another brother in the Bible, a centurion who had ridiculous, radical Red Bull faith? He rolled up on Jesus and said, Jesus, my servant is sick. He said, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house because I'm a man in authority and under authority. I speak a word and my servants listen. So Jesus, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And that servant got healed without Jesus even being there because somebody had an awareness I'm getting excited off my own sermon. Had an awareness of God's authority. No wonder Jesus marveled. The only time he marveled, he marveled at centurion's faith and said, I have never seen a faith like this. Why? Because he has an awareness of my authority. You don't got a faith problem. You got an awareness of his authority problem. You think the doctor has the final authority. You think your cousin and them got the final authority. You think Instagram trolls have the final authority. But when you know he has all of the authority, you can rest confident and have a sure place to anchor your faith. Come on, let's just really think deep on this. Anytime you don't believe somebody is the ultimate authority, how many know you will always doubt their word? Always doubt it. Come on. You've done it before. You ever been on the phone with somebody and you know they're a mid-level employee and they are giving you information that is contradictory to good customer service and finally you get so annoyed and frustrated, you're like, can I please speak to your manager? Can I please speak to a supervisor? Somebody with the authority to do, oh, don't act like you ain't never done that before. Come on, this happened to me not too long ago. I was, I was at a hotel, had a reservation booked for months at this hotel, and sweet little girl at the desk, bless her heart, uh, she's like, sir, I'm sorry, we're actually fully committed. I said, but ma'am, I had a reservation. She's like, no, I'm sorry, we're, we're fully commi- committed, I'm sorry, and I tried to stay safe, and I said, uh, I said, could I speak to your manager? Could I speak to your supervisor? And the supervisor came in and said, girl, move. She said, I'm so sorry, Mr. Madhu. This is her first time. I apologize. She said, actually, I'm going to upgrade you uh, to, here it is. I'm going to upgrade you to an executive suite. How in the world did I go from about to be on the street to an executive suite? That's because somebody with some real authority got behind the desk and started pushing buttons and making things happen. I hope you get so annoyed with what the enemy is doing to you that you say, I need to speak to the supervisor. I need to speak to the God that has power and authority to do something. Somebody that knows he's got power, would you take 10 seconds and give God your best praise in this place today? Hallelujah. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He's got power. And authority. This woman, worship team, join me. This woman said, for 12 years, I've been speaking to mid-level employees. I demand an appointment with the supervisor. She touched the hem of his garment and immediately got healed. Now, you can't shout too quick. She understand that her healing was an interruption to Jesus' journey to Jairus' house. 
Don't forget who got to Jesus first. Jairus did. He was on his way to Jairus' house, and this woman interrupted and got a healing. So in my mind, since Jairus got there first, I can see it. I can see it clearly. I can see Jairus getting to Jesus first. He said, Jesus, my daughter's about to die. You got to come to the house. Come quick. Jesus said, yes. He says, all right, come on, follow me. This is the way. Come on, follow me. And you know, it's a crowd of people. It's a crowd of people. So I can see Jairus going through the crowd, making sure Jesus is behind him. Come on, come on. Hurry up, Jesus. Hurry up. No, uh, move. I got to him first. Excuse me. Move. Come on. Come on, Jesus, hurry up. And he periodically looks back to make sure Jesus is still behind him, keeping up with his schedule. And you still there? Okay, good. Come on, you still there? Okay, good. Great. You wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What is he doing? And all of a sudden, Jesus has stopped in the middle of a crowd of people. And Jairus walks up and sees him. And all of a sudden, Jesus is surrounded by people and goes, who touched me? And Jairus go, are you serious right now, dude? I just told you this is an emergency. You up here playing 21 questions? What are you doing? Jesus, hurry up. Oh, come on. Don't act like you ain't never been there before. Have you ever told Jesus this is an emergency? And he seemed to just be taking his time, asking random questions. Oh, please. he waited for her to show up. Waited. No, somebody touched me. We'll wait. Finally, she cowardly shows up and he starts talking with her. And one version of the text says that she told him her whole story. She told him her whole story. Ladies, I love you, but have you ever had a lady sit down and tell you her whole story? Get you a comfortable seat. That is going to be a long conversation. How long is Jairus waiting? Oh my goodness, are you for real? Girl, get your healing and go. We gotta hurry up. Come on, Peter, you're always running your mouth. This be a good time to tell your boy to hurry up. That's frustrating. Frustrating when you got to wait on your miracle. When you told him to hurry up. Furthermore, this woman got healed while Jairus was waiting. Walt already wasn't frustrated enough to just wait on my miracle. What do you do when you got to wait on a miracle and then watch somebody else get theirs? Ooh, that's frustrating. When you're waiting on your miracle and watching somebody else get theirs, you got to sit there with that fake smile on your face like, hey, 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 hey. Oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> you here? Can we go now? I know we laughing. Man, you'd be shocked. The person in this room who's waiting on a miracle and watching other people get theirs. Waiting to have a baby. And watching other people post pictures of their babies on Instagram. Waiting to get married. Watching other people walk down the aisle. And I found even in my own life, God will often have you watch a miracle while you're waiting on your miracle. Not to discourage you, but to encourage you. To let you know that if God did it for them, come on somebody, he will do it for you too. He's faithful. Now watch this. I kind of set you up for that clap. I'm glad you clapped. Because that's an awesome Christian cliche, isn't it? If God did it for me, he'll do it for you too. And that's true. But I think there's an ideology attached to that statement. Because often when we say, if God did it for me, he'll do it for you too. 
we think that means God will do it in the same way. So if God bless you with a house, whoo, he going to bless me with a house in the same neighborhood with the same square footage. And I'm going to measure God, so you better keep it even. But can I tell you, God will do it for you, but sometimes it won't be in the same way. Because Jairus and this woman both wanted the same thing. They both wanted a healing. But Jairus didn't get a healing. He got a resurrection. Which sounds awesome until you remember that the prerequisite for a resurrection is death. So imagine how Jairus' heart sunk in his chest while he was waiting and watching. And then they come from the house and say, Jairus, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. I think in that moment, Jairus just lost it. He said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. And that's when I found out that Jairus has horrible friends. Terrible friends. Horrible friends. They're not horrible because they came and told him the news. That was the fact. They're horrible because of the commentary they added to the news. They said, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Why I got to use that voice because they're so annoying. Why bother the teacher anymore? Why bother? How are you going to tell me what to do about my situation? This ain't your daughter. This is my daughter. Be careful for people who are so quick to tell you to give up and throw in the towel and say, no, nah, you waited long enough. This ain't your child. Talking about don't bother the teacher. The teacher, you don't have an awareness of his authority. He's more than a teacher. He's a savior. He's a healer. As a matter of fact, he's the resurrection and the life. So even if she is dead, that don't mean anything. He can raise her back up again. Hallelujah. Don't tell me what to do when it's not your child. Don't tell me to throw in the towel when you don't understand he is the resurrection and the life. That's when Jesus spoke up. He said, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Somebody came to get that word today. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Fear and faith cannot occupy the same space. Don't be afraid. Keep on believing in God. Hallelujah. He said, don't be afraid. Just believe. And I think in that moment, Jairus was so dazed and confused by the news that instead of Jairus leading Jesus, now Jesus started leading Jairus and said, Jairus, come on, don't you give up. Come on, don't you give up. No, I need you to walk with the same pace. I know you were, I know you were excited and now you're down, but come on, I got something for you, Jairus. Come on, come on. And Jairus is walking and tears are coming down his face. He's like, Jesus, they already said he's, she's dead. Why are we going to the house anyway? But he's still following. And he's like, how do you know where I live? How many are thankful for a God that will lead you? Even when your faith has dropped, he'll still lead you. And when right to the house and walked in only let Peter James and John come in the house with him they had already started the funeral procession and Jesus says why are y'all crying she's not dead she's just asleep and when he said that they started laughing because hear me unbelief will always laugh at the language of faith unbelief always laughs at the language of the supernatural and the miraculous and they said ha, 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 really she's not she's dead Jesus maybe you don't understand because they understood that death was final sleep was temporary 
And Jesus goes, you don't have an awareness of my authority. He said, I am able to look at things that other people have said is final. Other people have said is over. Everybody else said, give up on the marriage. Everybody else said, give up on that kid. And God says, no, this is not final. This is just temporary. That's a word for somebody right there. Don't you put a period where God wants to put a comma. That thing is not dead. It's just asleep. Come on, he's got the power to raise it back up. But some things have got to to get out. Come on, somebody with faith shout, get out. Oh, somebody get up on your feet and say, get out. Come on, tell fear to get out. Tell worry to get out. Tell unbelief to get out. Somebody shout, get out. Soon as they got out, that little girl got up. Jesus was teaching us a profound principle that before some things can get up, some things first have to get out. This is your Sunday to check the atmosphere and the environment around you. Say, God, I'm going to tell some things by the authority in Jesus Christ. Tell some things to get out so that some things can get up. I'm going to ask every head be bowed, every eye be closed in this place today. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are blessed. 